Hello, Podicumans, and welcome to another episode of the Podicesis podcast, a podcast about what Christians believe and why it matters. I'm Brett Maddox, and as always, we're joined by your very best friends, Alan Kaysen and Jim Morrow. Alan, Jim, how are y'all doing? Fantastic. Howdy ho, neighbors. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. Appreciate You're that. Welcome. That was really yeah. and, and hearty. real quick, uh, yes. that's that's something that Brett knows because he did watch TV in the 90s, and that's the last time he's watched anything on a screen. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so Cue the um, Goonies I mean, reference. I can't I can't argue with that at all. Um, and we are we're joined by a special guest. We've got a special guest with us, a friend of ours <sighs> from let Jim do his uh, hollering there. Yay. Woo. Uh, oh, uh, special get from the South Georgia Conference, the Reverend Doctor, the Reverend Doctor Jonathan Smith, campus minister at Georgia Southern University. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me today. Awesome. Um, I'm here in Statesboro, uh, next door to the campus of the greatest university in America. So uh, glad to be with you all today. <laughs> and today's episode is sponsored by the GSU Wesley Foundation. That's right. That's, That's right. right. Um, it's funny. I've known Jonathan. In fact, Jonathan, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, you and I've known each other for almost, I think almost 20 years. Like it's been, um, a long time, uh, because mm -hmm. he was a youth pastor at Claxton. Was it? Uh, yeah, I was youth director and associate pastor at Claxton. Claxton. Um, and I was at Hazelhurst back in, um, 2002 ish or something like that. We went on a ski trip, just kind of happenstance just to kind of different churches going on and uh um and then i went to license to preach school with his wife stephanie so kind of fun kind of okay fun uh you can't be this though i slept <laughs> on <laughs> their living room floor uh at emory in an apartment um with nice. you know jonathan and stephanie uh, Stephanie's wife's a minister as well. Yep. And they had a one bedroom apartment at Emory and we made no plans to to live together, except I needed somewhere to play, stay during the week. And, uh, for a whole semester, I slept on an air mattress in the living room uh, awesome. until we were able to upgrade yeah. to a two bedroom apartment. So. Alan's churching it up a little bit. Okay, we, he actually slept on a single air mattress in the kitchen. In the <laughs> kitchen? In the we, kitchen. I, that one bedroom apartment was everything but a studio. Um, yes. <laughs> well, and, um, uh, when, when, when we moved to a two bedroom, we brought in another uh, uh, Methodist pastor uh, to sleep in the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got upgraded. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, I know Jonathan very well. Yeah, Speaking well, of seniority, Brett, you said you've known him for 20 years. That's almost, like an yeah. entire that's an entire quarter of your life. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you reminding <laughs> me how how old I am. Thank you. Um thank you. I appreciate it. I think I've it. actually known Alan longer though, because we met in high school. I was on a traveling youth ministry team out of the George Southern Wesley Foundation. And um, we went to Sandersville, Georgia, and where Alan's dad, Jimmy was the pastor and Alan was, uh, was, but a youth, um, at that, but at that but point, a youth. he still is, but a youth, but what are you going to do? Yes. Well, <laughs> what are you going to do? Alan, well, remember we're on audio, not video. He's pointing to uh, all of his wonderful, well-earned gray hairs. Well, yes. I'll show you guys. <laughs> and I'm telling everybody. Well, uh, for as long as I've known Jonathan, he's one of the most uh, humble and gracious guys in our conference, great minister in the conference. But I will say, I will say, 
Um, he goes, a, I won't say even a little overboard. He goes very overboard for his passion for Georgia Southern. I mean, if you read, if you're a Facebook friend of his, when Georgia Southern's playing football, um, it's, it's obnoxious, really. I'm just going <laughs> to. It is not obnoxious. It's perfect and wonderful. Well, and we've got mutual friends who are Georgia Southern grads as well, and they 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 love it. So you know, there you go. So, but uh, there's John- but one way to be a Georgia Southern fan, and that is to be a passionate and obnoxious <laughs> Georgia Southern fan. Um, you know, that's that's the nature of the beast there. So that's well, and actually, I appreciate that because you know we're coming up. The Podcasts podcast is coming up on our one year anniversary, uh, really, really, really soon. Like the next episode we do will be our one year anniversary, our, our pot if you want to call it that. Um, <laughs> um, and um, for the first like six months, Alan, all he ever talked about was UGA. So um, um, we finally broke him of that. And we're, yeah. I do have a brand new tag for my brand new truck. Uh, so it's, it's nice. There Georgia Southern so. tag. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I have bad words. Let's keep going. Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> Um, we're, uh, uh, grateful for our pot community being out there and for all the support that we have been given. It's crazy to think that we are coming up on our year, um, anniversary with this thing. When we started, we didn't really know where the, this was going to go and, you know, how it was going to be received, but it's just been, it's been awesome. The reception uh, to this. And so we're excited about that. Um, Last episode, we talked about Christ the King, and we left out an important scripture piece to that, and that was Psalm 110. Um, we really we we had it on our notes and just kind of skipped over it on by mistake. Um, actually, I skipped over it. It was my responsibility to read that scripture and to talk about it, and I just moved on. And uh, but I would implore our community to go out and to read Psalm 110 and to think about it in light of Jesus being King. And what that means, it's an important, important verse that gets brought up in the Gospels itself. Um, So Psalm 110, go back, read that, and think about that in terms of Christ being king. But uh, uh, we have gotten a lot of good response about our these uh, last three episodes we've done with prophet, priest, and king. Um, Apparently, that's needed to be talked about because that's been some of the biggest... um, uh, court, uh, what am I looking for? The word correspondence, correspondence. Yes. So people writing letters, uh, uh, comments about prophet, priest, and King. And so that's been, that's been good. Uh, just a reminder to hit us up on social media, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, leave a five-star review on Apple podcast that helps with that. Um, and we always want to give a shout out to one of our favorite Wesleyan resources, the firebrand magazine, online magazine, firebrandmag.com dot org and um <laughs> it's dot com dot org just firebrand magazine put it in your google machine and find it you'll it'll be right there i promise you um and uh we love it we love that and they've actually got some really good articles on baptism um and politics that have just come out this week so go check that out um so <clears throat> We are going to talk about question and answer number 27 from John Wesley's revision of the Westminster Shorter Catechism today. Uh, We're moving into Christ's earthly life and his death. And the question from question 27 is this, this, um, in what did Christ's humiliation consist? In what did Christ's humiliation consist? And I wonder if someone 
would have an answer. That is an excellent question. Yeah, one for the um, books. And it comes with a great answer. So uh, here's the answer. In what did Christ's humiliation consist? Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born, and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the mi miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross, in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. So that's one of those loaded answers where there's um, a lot there. We could probably even break it up into several different parts for a podcast for a, a series on this, but uh, we're not going to do that. We're going to try to <laughs> we're going to try to hit on all this uh, today. Um, and so, as we like to do, we're going to start with the scripture proofs uh, for this uh, question. Now, we're going to leave a couple of scriptures out uh, because we've hit on these scriptures already in previous episodes. Luke chapter two, Jesus being born um, of a woman, uh, Galatians 4, Jesus coming in the fullness of time. Those are important passages that we've hit on already um, in previous episodes, but we're going to pick up today at Hebrews 12, verses 2 through 3, and I'm going to go to the great and powerful Jim Morrow. <laughs> <laughs> the wizard of me. Glenville. <laughs> yeah, so uh, just real quick, there's so many scripture proofs that you could take a look at, and I hope maybe if you haven't yet, you can pick up a copy of the, the Wesley's revision of the catechism from Seedbed, so you can see those. You can probably also Google the cat, put it in your Google machine, the catechism itself to find the rest, and so involved in all of that are the scriptures that involve at the right time uh, Christ was born, the stories right. of his being born of a woman, etc. So the, the scripture proofs today we want to make sure that you know that um, all of the pieces in this answer are there. But so I want to pick up just a few verses from Hebrews 12. We'll start in the middle of chapter or verse number two. It reads, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hey, uh, Jonathan, you were telling us a funny story about the word humiliation earlier. And that, that's a funny word. You know, when you think about it, it, it almost made me want to ask you what your most humiliating stories were. But then yes. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus kind of uh, the, the theological term kind of changes the language. Uh, yeah. Would you mind tell us a little bit about that real quick, Jonathan, before I riff on this passage for a second? Yeah, absolutely. When we think of humiliation, we generally think of it as this, this uh, term of negativity. It has a lot to do with embarrassment for us right. as modern readers um, of, of the, the um, catechism. And so uh, our minds go to different places than the original writers of the catechism um, intended and uh, different places than Wesley would have intended. Um, when we think about the humiliation that Christ endured, it's not just um, that he died on a cross. My, my daughter and I were talking about this this morning that uh, I mentioned that I would be talking about humiliation, and she talked about Jesus dying on the cross. And I said, yes, that's it. But it's more than just Jesus dying on the cross. Um, if you look back at, at Philippians 2, which I think Alan's going to hit on in just a minute, um, we see that, that God empties God's self um, of his power. Jesus, uh, the Christ, the Son of God, divests himself of his power in order to condescend to us to take on our estate. Um, and that in, in and of itself is a humiliation. Um, God chooses 
um, to let go of his power um, mm-hmm. in order to be among us, to be born of a woman, um, and to uh, walk among us, um, all of which is suffering. And I went a little bit further with that with her. I said, you know, if we think of Jesus um, as the perfect image of God, if we think of, of the fullness of God's self being in Christ, um, then we have to understand that for that image to walk among we who are broken images is humiliating um, yeah. in, right. in a lot of ways. Right. And th- there, there's two words here, you know, that are being used, that condescending, humiliation. These are really kind of negative words in our popular parlance. But this is, from a biblical theological point of view, it's actually pointing to reality. Uh, a, a divine reality, a human reality of Jesus condescending, literally coming down to our level, right? And a humiliation, humbling, a a a, a, a humbling effect there. Um, so yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, we yeah. we tend to think of ourselves better than we are. Um, and well, we tend not to yes. dwell on the the state of our humanity. Um, right. And and that Philippians text is a reminder. The humi- the word humiliation and condescension mm-hmm. is a reminder of just how lowly um, in a state um, we we live in. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, especially if we we recall um, that God is the source and sustainer of all being. Um, and, and so here's a thing to help, and maybe it'll help. Then the if you look at some related words like in the word um uh condescend it, it has the idea of descending together if you look at the kind of the old prefix of of con and descend being its word the etymology there you have the word of coming down to be together um and but but christ being a person of god has to come down to do that which means to let go of much in order to do that. And, and of course, we could get into the weeds about precisely what is let go and what is retained. And, and that's that's a bigger conversation than today. But you also have the related to the word humiliation is the word humble. Um, and that would mean uh, to come down and, as Jonathan said, divest himself of in order to be with. Uh, so those words, it's not it's not like the it's not like the time that I was on stage um, I can't remember the play I was in. I had one of those body mics on, you know, we wear a lot. It had like a lapel mic. Um, and we were going into intermission and I forgot to turn the mic off and the sound folks forgot to turn the mics off too. And let's just say after you've been on stage for an hour or two, you need a little break and no, you, you don't didn't. want the entirety of that break to be broadcast no, over the speakers to the audience. <laughs> no, I mean, you didn't. like it was a problem that was humiliating. Um, but, uh, but it's, <laughs> but, <That's awesome. laughs> but to say, <laughs> to That's say, awesome. to say the humiliation of Christ has differing and broader meaning as well. And the reason I brought that up is because the first passage we get to could, it talks particularly about enduring the cross, scorning its shame and sitting down eventually at the right hand of God and talking about his enduring of opposition. That's not the only thing that is meant by humiliation. Uh, And so I was glad to have Jonathan speak into that. So real quick, Hebrews reminds us that there is a purpose for which Christ did that. Um, and in one way for the joy set before Christ, that Christ would endure that portion of his humiliation, which if you think about it, if God is at the top and as the source, Jesus continues to come further and further and further down into the depths of one human experience and two human brokenness from coming down into birth 
from living what the catechism calls the miseries of life into death, down into being for a time subdued by death. So um, also this passage gives us a little bit of encouragement that if because of his humiliation, he also will then be exalted. Um, we can have encouragement to not grow weary and lose heart for Jesus is our Lord. So right. there we go. There Hebrews you go. 12. Nice. Um, and so uh, we're going to move on to Isaiah um, and a popular passage that uh, is known as the uh, pa- uh, the suffering servant pa- passage. Um, lots of allusions, Old Testament allusions here to the Messiah, to Jesus. And so I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Georgia Southern himself, uh, <laughs> Jonathan Smith. Yeah, uh, Isaiah 53, uh, verses 2 and 3 read this way. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his presence that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Part of the song of the suffering servant uh, just speaks to uh, very clearly of the humiliation of Christ. The, this idea that um, that in spite of what God was doing before us, uh, we uh, as as humans were uh, we rejected Him, uh, despised Him, um, and pushed uh, Christ away, pushed God away um, in spite of what God was doing through Him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and it, and you would see uh, in the middle of Isaiah. 52, actually, which kind of starts this whole um, idea, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, This whole uh, suffering servant uh, motif in Isaiah, um, you'll have that piece in there where, um, uh, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. Um, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was marred beyond human resemblance is formed beyond the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Um, And then it moves on into 53, this idea of suffering, this idea of, 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 humiliation, if you will, condescending. He was despised. He was rejected. He was mm-hmm. uh, pierced for our transgressions. He was, uh, by his stripes, we are healed. That uh, there, there's a, there, there is a suffering, there's hurt, there's pain. He, there, that we, in some fashion, feel ourselves and experience ourselves. And verse 4 actually speaks to that yeah. um, in Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain yeah. and bore our suffering, yeah. yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, yeah. and afflicted. You right. know, it's actually Christ bearing what we should have borne um, and us not understanding what God was doing among us. Yes. Um, and at, verse 4 has always acted as, as a hinge for me, yeah. um, sort of in this chapter. Yes, absolutely. Um, good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, and, and just to, to pick that up into the broader scheme of the humiliation, it's not, it's, it's not only to take upon the pain and et cetera, that we should take. It's that also which humanity does take, does take, yes. By simple existence in the world and the nature in which we live. Mm -hmm. So uh, to redeem current suffering and to, uh, redeem and take upon himself the suffering due by sin. 
Yeah, this is where the catechism is so important. Um, any good catechism in history uh, will be building upon itself. It's not separate questions or separate sections or whatever. And say, okay, we're done with this. Let's throw it out like you know you do after your college. Uh, uh, you're done with your finals, and you're just like, I'm never, I'm never going to be, you know, dealing with that class again. So I'm going to throw all that away. Um, this, this, it keeps building. And so, the stuff we've been dealing with from uh, from the the earliest moments of this podcast original sin, the state of humanity, where we are. Now you're starting to see that layer being the the, the Jesus layer, if you will, being built upon that and why that so, was so important to deal with when we dealt with where we are. Uh, so uh, we're going to now move towards uh, the Gospels. We're going to look at Luke and Matthew. Um, and so Luke 22, uh, verse 44, uh, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, He's getting ready to go to the cross, to be arrested, to go through his trial, the suffering there, and then to go to the cross himself. And in one of the most poignant, I believe, passages in the Gospels, you have Jesus reaching out in prayer to the Father, you know, take this cup from me, but your will be done. Um, And verse 44 says, and being in agony, he, Jesus, prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Um, that, that, that first part, being in agony, the pain and the suffering that Jesus was feeling, even in that moment. I think sometimes we think of Jesus' suffering of in his arrest, and his beatings, going to the cross. But there's a sense that even in the night of his betrayal, before he was even arrested when he was praying, he was suffering knowing what was about to happen, uh, knowing what he was about to go through for us and because of his love. Um, Jim, I know you've been to Israel. Alan, Jonathan, have y'all been to Israel? I mean, uh, no. you know. um, so Jim, when you were there, did you do a reverse uh, intinction, uh, I guess you would call it that, uh, communion? Um, no. We were at the Garden of Gethsemane, and I served communion to the group we were with, and we did reverse intinction, which is you poured the the juice on the bread, and by the time you're done, you look at the ground, and it's just red and wet. It's, it's supposed to resemble the, the sweat drops of blood, if you will, um, on the ground in that really powerful, powerful moment there. Um, I just, that, that, when I read this passage, I think back to that moment and you can actually see it. And, um, it was pretty powerful to see that. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for that moment when the Potokesis podcast makes its journey to Israel for that. <laughs> yes. I just want to put a plug in there. Yes. Um, I've you, already Jonathan. signed up for the Thank trip. I'm, I'm, yes. I'm we, there we actually got you. our first hashtag. We did. Humans in Israel. Yeah. And so uh, we'll say, we'll say that it, it would be worthwhile uh, at this moment, as we look forward to that, uh, to, uh, prayerfully uh offer our thought well our thoughts and prayers yeah. over to the people in the region yes. who are yes. suffering through violence at the moment yes. Um, yes not only so that we can go but just because human life is beautiful and precious amen and um we we want all want to see the day where uh, the word to isaiah comes through that all their swords will be beaten into plowshares amen and then amen. Yeah. then we look forward to 
bringing all the potacumens to Israel. Yes, that's right. Yes, that pot- Christ's humiliation was for all of creation and all of humanity, and right. we are not separate from the suffering that's happening there right now. Amen. This is true. That's absolutely true. Um, you know, quick quick hit on that. Um, when I was over there, we had a uh, Palestinian Christian leading us, and um, you just it's 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 a different. Um, when you have, when you realize that you have that, um, it's, it, it, it just changed my views on everything. So I will tell you really quickly that just like everything else, the, uh, views on things that we get far, far removed are pretty simplistic. Um, and, uh, when we have gone over, oh, we've been quick to learn that there is more nuance, um, yep. going on than we realize, but anyway, we can, we can share that for another time. I think it's just beautiful to share in our common humanity and love of God with our brothers and sisters across the world. I agree. And amen to that. Um, now we're going to move uh, Matthew 27, Jesus dying on the cross. One of the last statements he makes, um, and I'm going to, this is where we have to practice our Aramaic, right? Um, so, uh, Jesus, it says in verse 46 of chapter 27, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lima Sabachni, just destroyed that. That is my God, my God, where have you, why have you forsaken me? All right, Hold on. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Hold on. So here's my rule of thumb. You, whatever you say, you say it with confidence. That's okay, right. Let me back that's, up here. That's what, that's what I tell my people. That's what I tell my people. Yeah. Whatever you say, just say it with confidence. Um, funny story so about on. that. No, we're going to get your story in a minute. I'm going to take charge for a second. Okay. <laughs> so you can open up any of your audio Bibles. I like the Dwell app lately. There are oh some great gosh. English Thanks. speaking voices there yes. that really yes. make this happen. So what I think of is that the the folks who have the English accent actually have, um, it just helps you pronounce it. So what I'd like to see if you could do is try it again, okay. but in a British style accent, um, <laughs> and it might help you out. What do you think, Brett? Um, I, I can't. <laughs> he, can't, he can't say it in South Georgia slang. I can't do it. I can't do it now. <laughs> no. What would be really great is if, um, is when you go back and we, you post this, that you dub over um, that part with uh, with the with the dwell app guys. with the dwell app guys. Eli Eli Lima Lima subdoctor. See, I can't even do it again. Thank you. And I'm trying to do it confidently. Uh, let me do it in English. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There we uh, go. There uh, we're <laughs> quoting from. He's quoting from uh, Psalm 22, 22:1 is the verse there. Um, and uh, this is, you know, the the famous kind of last sayings of Jesus. Uh, you've got various things. Uh, Jesus is saying, "Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do." Um, one, some, some of them are really interesting, like I am thirsty, you know, that kind of thing. Um, this one though is, is interesting. Why have you forsaken me? So you've got Jesus crying out. Why have you forsaken me? Of course, we've got this idea of him bearing the sins of the world upon his shoulders, taking upon the, uh, taking upon the punishment for sin that was, uh, you know, that was for humanity, um, taken upon himself. So in a sense, because Jesus is bearing the sins of the world on, there is a time in which it does seem like God the Father 
there is this separation for the very first time between the son and the father. It's very interesting. You get into all kinds of philosophical and theological issues and debates uh, with this. In fact, some of the heresies, the classic heresies, uh, like docetism, for example, um, and, uh, and by the way, thank you, Jim and Alan, for, you know, we're about 20, 30 minutes into this episode for not calling me a heretic yet um, on this. My, my, I feel like I'm, I'm really... I feel like y'all are starting to respect me a little bit on that. And so after you bought, after you botched that last scripture, I can't help it. You're a heretic. Hey, hey, listen, listen, what is that? It's such a theology, like speak into existence. There's a book, the secret. You just did the secret thing. You just spoke into existence. He's manifesting stuff. You're manifesting. Okay. Which is, that's a, that's a heresy by itself, by the way. So um, it wasn't on my mind until now. Hashtag Brett's a heretic. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, uh, but docetism, this idea that Jesus's humanity really didn't exist, that he, that there was, he was, it was more basically a mirror or an an image of reality that was his divine. Oh, and so that was quickly labeled by the early church, a a heresy and not good, uh, correct thinking on Jesus. Because what we do know is that Jesus was fully human, fully divine, he did suffer and die, but he also overcame that. So, uh, but we'll get to that when we talk about Easter. So, um, Which, I mean, that's really beautiful when you look at at Psalm twenty two because yeah. so often when we hear um, Jesus' words from the cross, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" We we immediately think Psalm twenty two, and we think of it as this song of suffering, this psalm that's all about you know how how crushed um, Jesus is or christ is in that moment because we really only read the first half of the psalm the second half of psalm 22 is this beautiful uh image of what god is doing through christ's suffering and and humiliation um, and and how god is redeeming all of creation through this moment of of suffering absolutely there's a there's a thing that strikes me when i when i hear this now and I, i i'm sure somebody had brought this into my life but so at jesus's deepest darkest moment he quotes a psalm a scripture a prayer of the people that he has likely steeped himself in for his entire life and so when there are no words there are the words of scripture Mm -hmm. which is just one of those things that encourages me to keep myself studying scripture yeah. and not just in my mind, but bringing it into my heart yeah. so that and maybe encourage people who are listening. Um, you don't always have to have words. Um, you know, let the, let the scriptures seep into your heart and they will speak for you at mm-hmm. times when you need them most. Yes. Well, and it's the, and it, yeah. And it's the word made flesh speaking the yeah. words when there are no words, you know, yes. so um, that's beautiful. That's- awesome. Awesome. And now, um, Alan is yeah, going to uh, sure. one of the most beautiful, I think, poems ever written. Yeah. Um, in any any religious tradition, uh, that really you you get the whole in what probably ten verses, eleven verses, you really get the whole gospel uh, in this sense. And so, Alan, um, turning it over to you. Yeah. Thanks, Brett, for saying exactly what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, you know, um, no, do, it I mean, the, the, do it in your best British accent. So people will actually be paying yeah, attention. No, um, not going to happen. Um, uh, but there are, there are a few, pa- there are those few passages of scripture that really sum up the whole gospel. 
And, uh, and as Jim was talking about letting those words just, you know, seep into your heart. I mean, these words in Philippians two should just be right there all the time. Um, and so our, our, uh, catechism, um, just looks at verse eight, but I'm going to start at verse five, because when we talk about our whole thing is what, you know, what we believe and why it matters, mm-hmm. verse five sort of, you know, um, gets to that point as to why it matters. So uh, Paul writes, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so we're why it matters is we want to have the same mindset. We want to be like Jesus. Um, so have the same mindset as Jesus, um, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Um, And so um, we talked about earlier about the humiliation of Jesus and him taking on um, that, that it's not just the cross, it is his, him being born and, and how he was born, um, in a manger and in just a lowly, very low state. Um, but one of the first questions we talked about in the catechism was what is God? And we talked about that God is spirit, that he's infinite, that he's eternal. And, and here is God taking on yucky, yucky flesh. <laughs> um, he is limiting himself yeah. in a sense. Um, and he is, he is truly humiliating himself um, by, by being made in human likeness. This, I mean, you think about it, flesh is just gross, right? I mean, like, you think of, <laughs> I mean, I mean, especially from God's perspective, I mean, it's like, it's just like, what is this? Um, right. And so, um, but what I love about this passage, and um, if you if you don't follow Seedbed and and JD Walt, JD Walt's done some great teaching on this passage and yeah. and so forth. But um, there's a downward pattern to this poem, song, hymn, whatever you want to call it. And from from verse six to verse eight, it's going down. Um, Jesus, Jesus is God has come down. Right. Um, into the human being of, of Jesus to the death on the cross, the suffering, death, and so forth. Um, but then when we get to next week, or our next um, episode, we talk about Christ's exaltation. And that is the upward pattern from verses 9 to 11. And this is all, again, about having the same mindset of Christ. And if you remember Romans 12, what does Romans 12 say? Too, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, And the way that we do that is to have the mindset of Christ. And that mindset of Christ is this downward, is descending like Christ, Mm -hmm. so that in Christ we are also exalted exalted with him um, Mm -hmm. in, in, in the resurrection and so forth. So just, I mean, it's like this is a passage that really sums up the gospel um, that you need to have close on your heart. So, you know, um, part of the condescending of Christ, him coming down, that gets overlooked by the church a lot, especially in the Methodist church. I mean, we mm-hmm. we we were, com- I won't say complicit, but we adopted a version of the, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed that actually took this out, was uh, is this idea of what Jesus is doing after he dies. Mm-hmm. 
um, in the in the Apostles' Creed, uh, in other traditions, you'll see he descended to the dead, or he descended to Hades, or he descended to hell. Um, and there are these few little passages going on there um, in, in in the letters of Peter, um, even maybe a, a, an allusion to that here in Philippians, um, where uh, when it says "and under the earth," um, this idea of Jesus. So for three days, Jesus is not just like laying down and sleeping. It it, it looks like scripturally speaking, Jesus is actually doing something in that between time between the resurrection and the, his his death. Um, I've, I've been doing a, some thinking on that because of of it's historical. It's part of the historical creeds, the historical belief system. He descended the heroine of hell. That's you know that's one of my uh, that I love that language there. I wonder if that's a word for us in the church. Of course, it shows the power of Jesus, the 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 light the, uh, that Jesus, the 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 effect of the cross. It, it it it's it goes throughout all time, right? Like it 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 affects all of time and humanity. But <clears throat> I also wonder if it's a word for us as Christians who. In a sense, we're in this already and not yet place where the kingdom of God has already been manifest and it's been is come and it's done, you know, but it's not yet complete. Mm-hmm. And so we're in this kind of middle place where it sometimes really does feel like it's hell on earth, you know. What is our response? Well, we're supposed to what did Jesus do when he descended to the dead? He preached. He preached, like he proclaimed himself. And I wonder if that's a word for us that even in this in-between time, the number one thing we are to do, no matter how bad it gets, is to proclaim the gospel. That's just some thinking I've been doing lately on this idea of the heroine of hell anyway, and its place in our tradition. I think there's a second thing that's going on there for for us. We we tend in the Methodist Church to operate with a high view of humanity. Um, mm-hmm. we, we we operate with a very high understanding of humanity, which is biblical, right? You know, we're created in the image of God. Um, we we are God's image bearers and co-creators uh, in the world, even in our fallen state. You know, we we are still that. Right. Um, but we do deny at times the existence of hell. Um, mm-hmm. And I think sometimes because we don't have an emphasis on that part mm-hmm. of our theological heritage, um, we do this this sort of uh, denial of the existence of hell, um, and hell is a real place. I mm-hmm. mean, Wesley was very serious about very preaching serious. the gospel, yeah. you know, to save souls from hell. Um, and sometimes, in some ways, I think we have lost our passion for the gospel mm-hmm. and sharing the gospel, because if hell isn't a real place and not a real thing, then then what are we saving people from or saving people to or for? Right. Um, right. It's a complete gospel when you bring it all in. When you start because, you know, um, uh, one of the things that we will find out, because uh, in just a moment, I think we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of the wrath of God. And so when we talk about issues like hell, wrath, condemnation, or uh, 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 condescension, humiliation, mm-hmm. these things, our brains automatically go to our own experiences, right? And so our own experiences play a huge part in how we uh, tend to at least initially uh, interpret things. Yeah. Um, and so if it does, if it's against our, uh, you know, sensibilities, if it's not, you know, if we had a wrathful, 
angry parent who was abusive, when we think of the wrath of God, our brains just automatically go, well, that must be what God is like. Um, and so um, I, I'm, I'm very thankful for the work of a guy named William Abraham out of, uh, used to be of S, out of Southern Methodist University, but now he's uh, at Baylor. Um, he uh, wrote a short little book um, uh, that pertained to United Methodism, but it was an interesting uh, book for, I think, the wider uh, church uh, called Awaking from Doctrinal Amnesia. Mm-hmm. And in that book, he takes to task the what's called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, which is this fairly relatively modern way of interpreting uh, Scripture, or at least, I won't say modern, but the way that it's been used has been very modernized, um, that says that Scripture, tradition, uh, experience, and reason um, are not only lenses in which we interpret things, in which we make uh, theological stances, uh, but it they some people will interpret to say they're equal, right? Like it's a quadrilateral, it's whatever. I don't want to get into the debate about that. Mm-hmm. As much as to say, Abraham will say, "Look, scripture and tradition; those are important. You got to leave those. Those are important." But our reasoning and our experiences are too fallible to even be in the same category of using. Now they're important because that's who we are, but just, you know, our reasoning can falter at any moment and our experiences can give us false lenses to be able to see things. And Mm -hmm. so I would just say that, um, experiences are important when we look at these type of things, when we talk about hell, when we talk about wrath, our experiences are important, but they cannot be primary i don't think yeah. i think i think abraham's done some really good work to kind of point that out and some of the the fault the fallibility or not just fallibility but the pitfalls we can run into when that is the case and even following up with that when we talk about tradition of the church we're not talking about the tradition of the church since 1950 or 1850 right. yeah. um, right. we're talking about the traditions of the church uh, 400 and earlier <laughs> those exactly are the traditions right. of the church that that Wesley was trying to to get back to and draw the church um, of England that he was a part of back to was this early heritage um, that the apostles that sort of the apostolic faith right. um, and so when we talk about the tradition of the church you know it, even our history as the United Methodist Church um, is is very, very, very late. You yeah. know? Would you say that John Wesley uh, wanted people to give him that old-time religion? <laughs> oh, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so there's, there's, there's an image that I believe Alan had brought up in a previous episode. It comes from the absolute basics of the Christian faith. Wonderful yep. seedbed resource. It's mm-hmm. about a ladder that, yeah. that doesn't come all the way down so that we can't quite reach it or a ladder that doesn't go all the way up so that we can't quite get to God. So imagine if there, if Jesus did not live under the power of death, okay? So we took out, descended into hell, Hades, or whichever word we were most comfortable with and didn't make our kids uh, giggle. Um, imagine if Jesus only descended to the point where his He stayed in a tomb, but did not come under the power of death, did not experience what it is like to be under the power of death, did not wrestle with death, or even if you were to say, under the torment of hell, then he has not brought the ladder all the way down to the fullness of human experience. Mm -hmm. Because as glorious as our life is, (laughs) we don't know what all of our life is, and Mm -hmm. it is not as 
good as we think it is. Mm. And so there's a, a full experience that people have outside of Christ being under the power of death and or under the torment of hell that would be untouched and unredeemed if Christ did not, for example, harrow hell or sit under the power of death. It's actually, when you take the logic and use the latter image, which is super helpful, um, it's a super important part of redemption. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So you can't restore, it's like, it's like when you when you go to repaint your car. I used to have an old 1985. Brett, you probably got this when it was new. A 1985 Mercury Topaz. <laughs> By the time I got it, <laughs> it was pretty well rusted through, right? Yeah. And so what I did as a, a, a very uh, wealthy 16-year-old who had a part-time job at Wendy's is I went to Walmart and bought spray paint. And I spray painted over it thinking I would fix the rust spots. And it worked for a couple of weeks. The rust would come through, the paint would wear off. In order to get that taken care of, we had to get it all the way down to bare bones, get all the rust out of the metal, refinish it, repaint it, and then put a clear coat back on it. Right. The same thing with the redemption. You can't scrape the rust off and repaint it. Jesus can't just go that far. Right. Jesus has got to get all the way down to the fullness of the, the rot in the same way that Jesus sits under the power of death. So I'd say it's it's a more important thing than we think of. And, and we got to be real careful as Christians in general, just about tossing things out because we don't feel like they're relevant or um, saying, I don't know if that word matters. Let's make up a new one or just mm. completely moving in a different direction for whatever whim, because we might lose things that are extremely important, actually. Well, or as Paul would say, of first importance, and I will kick it over to Alan, to explain that from 1 Corinthians 15. Um, sure. Before I, before we get that, I, I, to, to put it another way, you know, as we talk about exaltation next time, to be exalted fully, he needs to descend fully. And, um, and that is uh, what Jim I was getting to. Um, so to get to 1 Corinthians uh, 15. <laughs> 1 Corinthians. <laughs> 1 Corinthians. <laughs> We've been listening uh, to, uh, to some of our... Um, British uh, speakers over the last couple of weeks, haven't we? Yes. Um, yes. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through Just 4. take it the rest of the way. Just read it like Justin no, Welby does. I can't. Does. I can't. You can't. <laughs> Jim, stop forcing me to do something I don't want to do. Okay. Wow. Hey, governor. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's that? All right. Uh, now back to what Paul was trying to say. Um, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Uh, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Um, and so that gets to our, our answer to, to the question that um, he was um, humiliated in being buried and continued under the power of death for a time. Right. Um, and I think going back to our conversation a little bit um, you know, to put ourselves in the place of the disciples and, and the women who for three days thought that Jesus was dead. They, they, they couldn't remember anything that he had said before, you know, none of that, all that was um, blinded by grief and so forth. Um, and in those three days, they waited thinking that Christ was dead. Um, but 
to come to a realization that it was only for a time. I like that, the phrasing of the answer, um, that he was under the power of death for a time. For a time, yeah. Um, and that, that you know, when we think about our own lives and our, we're going through our own situations that, that uh, perhaps our own humiliation or suffering or whatever is only for a time. Yeah. Um, it may continue throughout our earthly life, but there is a, there is a, there is an end to that as we are uh, joined with Christ for eternity. So, um, yeah, I, I love how Paul will even talk about our deaths as sleeping, right? Uh, it gives you a sense that um, it's going to come to an end. You're going to wake up. So, um, uh, yeah, good stuff. Um, so, you know, there's a lot here to this this answer, and we've hit on a lot of these things, humiliation, uh, the miseries of life. We've talked about that already, but, you know, the, what sin brings about, the the effects of original sin, but also sins themselves are giving in to temptation, our actions, what we do, um, the meaning of the cross itself. Um, you know, there's all types of theories about atonement that are out there, um, and I will just tell y'all, uh, they're all, in a sense, right. Um, they're, they're all in, and, and each one has its, um, its strong points and each one, if taken just by itself will have its weak points, but the atonement itself is all encompassing. It, it deals with our morality. It deals with, um, taking upon our sin. There's a sense of substitution that's going on. There's a victory there. There's all of these things that takes place with the cross and eventually with the resurrection of Christ as well. Um, the, the burial of Jesus, him descending to the dead. Um, before our episode, Jim had, uh, put out a, a, a comment to us that this might be a good time to talk about the wrath of God because, and I agree with him um, as we, as we're thinking about, uh, or as we're getting ready to close down this episode, this might be a good place for us to talk about the wrath of God for a minute and what we're really talking about when we're dealing with the issue of the wrath of God. I think in popular culture and in, in, in popular understanding uh, uh, in Christianity itself, particularly in the United States, the wrath of God is not a popular topic to preach on or to teach on because it makes us feel uncomfortable. It's not seeker-friendly. It is... Um, it, 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 people have an issue. This is where people will say, well, the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament, These type, this type of language that just kind of gets thrown out around um, even in the walls of the church. Just, just to so, be clear, you're talking about the wrath of God, not the wrath of Khan. Yeah, not the wrath of Khan. Okay. Khan! Okay. No, we're okay. not talking about Khan. Just, no, no, <laughs> just, so, Brett, on the yeah. other hand, sometimes people are over-eager to preach right. the wrath of yes. God. Wrath of God, yes. And, and so, yeah. I mean, like, wrath, I mean, it's cool when you've got it. It's not cool when it's done to you, right? Right. Um, it's just, it, it feels bad. Oh, gosh. And God would never want me to feel bad. But it's often a confusing topic. Right. So, for example, when we talk about, when we misunderstand what the word means that Jesus is the son of God, and we think about him like we think of our own children and only in that way, and then we think that God poured out his wrath upon him because he had to get rid of his wrath, you could very easily think of somebody who has no way to control their anger, right. taking it out on an innocent person as, as a form of divine child abuse. And if this is why it's important for the expansion of our terms and to understand things. But uh, I'm going to lean a little bit into uh, some reformed sources, actually, as a way of strong manning the argument to talk even about what uh, the wrath of God might mean 
and then give a little of my own thought. I just want to hear what y'all think too. So for example, um, Desiring God and uh, one of their guest contributors themselves and Desiring God is a very popular reformed resource uh, would say something like this, God's wrath is his love in action against sin. And so one of the ways you can think of it is that I, I did this in a sermon a while ago, and I won't preach it again, but the idea was that it is actually good news that God is against sin. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. Because somebody has to be. Amen. Because somebody yes. has yes. to stand up and say, no, this is wrong. This is not right. This hurts my creation and all the things that I love, and I will not stand for it. Right. Yep. So it is actually good news that God is against sin. And therefore, it is good news that God would take action against sin. And what does love look like when it fights for its own? The victim of that kind of love would experience that love as wrathfulness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. And so, and if you look at the Old Testament, even uh, the stories of, say, um, in Leviticus, when everybody is outside of the tent of meeting and can't be in the presence of God, and all of the things that God does because God wants them in his presence, but the very being in the presence of God without following the way that he's given would lead to their instant death. It's because God is so holy, gracious, and loving that in his presence, things that are not cannot remain in existence. Mm-hmm. So is yes. in some way, the wrath of God, the natural experience of unholy things and broken things being in the presence of an all-holy, righteous, powerful, and loving God. Right. So J.I. Packer, who yeah. was an Anglican that uh, found a lot of home in Calvinism, he's quoted in Knowing God, which is a great almost great classic resource. book. If you can call resource. something written in the 70s classic, but you can. Yeah. He said... God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead the right and necessary reaction to an objective moral evil. Right. And so I know in my own life things that I attribute as I have experienced somebody's wrath, and it's awful. And I know that my own wrath is awful. Because the wrath that I've experienced is unjust, broken, and marred. Right. And the wrath that I sadly bring forward is the same. And it comes from broken, sinful places within me. But the wrath of God cannot come from those places right. because God is not those things. And therefore, uh, in the same way that I am grateful when God... Um, takes care of and removes the unjust things from my life. I'm grateful for that love. I am also grateful that God's love is so deep that he will take care that God will take care of those things. And so if we were to think about it and, and let the analogies break down about the human understanding of wrath and the wrath of God, and if we were to be a little more careful in how we bandy about terms and, and pit terms like love and wrath against each other, we would actually find ourselves in a very beautiful place, I believe. Anyway, yeah. that's my my comment. What do you all think about the wrath of God? Not you know, God. God. Yeah, you are. <laughs> You're welcome. After You're welcome. all that, <laughs> I, I, I dropped you the wrath it up. of God. 
So one of my great heroes uh, in in Christian history is a guy named Athanasius of Alexandria. He's bishop. He's 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 just one of my heroes. Um, And uh, the the image that I come back to when we talk about uh, humanity and uh, the image of God in humanity is the idea um, of an oil painting that has been marred um, by someone rubbing a wet cloth over it um, so that it's been destroyed and dis- not destroyed, but distorted um, in some ways. And it takes the touch of a master painter, a master artist to restore that image. Um, and that's God's work in us. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that God's not going to rub off some of the parts um, that are offensive. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that God isn't going to cut out some of the parts of who we are mm-hmm. um, in our brokenness, in our fallibility, in our sinfulness um, that are offensive to God. And so we should we should expect to experience some pain as we come to Christ. Um, it's not just about breakthrough. It's not just about joyful and moving from glory to glory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, coming to Christ and being refined, you know, refined by fire, if you want to use some mm-hmm. of those uh, New Testament images, is going to be a painful process. Yet if we, if we, if we, um, cooperate with the Spirit of God, it becomes less painful because we are even now being conformed to the image uh, in which we were created. I, I don't know. That was a lot. But um, but yeah, I, th- I think that there's there's going to be pain in redemption. Um, there, yes. there must be. And th- y'all need—I would just implore everybody to hear that again. There's pain in redemption. I, I Unfortunately— in the United States, particularly in the West, the uh, we 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 have this. Even if we don't ascribe to health, wealth, prosperity gospel, we have a almost uh, in, in, implicit. I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. We we want to believe that it's true, like that that no harm or pain is going to come right. our way, especially in the church. You know, I'm a I'm a follower of Jesus. I pray every day. Then why am I suffering? Why is all this crud? continuing to happen to me. And as I'm completely reminded every day, um, you know, what Luke says in chapter nine, uh, take up your cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's not about you. He's always with you. Now follow him. So, I mean, it's just, it's not about having an easy life. It's not about it being painless. Um, In fact, the New Testament writers will tell us the exact opposite of that. The pattern of Christ is humiliation, is, right. is yes. coming down. Um, and we have to have the same what, mindset as that. Right. Yes. right. Yeah. And so uh, mm-hmm. one, one thing is I'm thinking, I'm preaching on um, Isaiah's call story in Isaiah 6, and he's got this vision of, of God in the temple and the seraphim, um, these amazing created beings are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, um, and Isaiah comes to this realization that, I am a man of unclean lips, and I am among a people of unclean lips. And what does God do, or what do the seraphim do? They they fly a piece of coal um, from the the, the burnt um, altar offering altar, and they touch his lips, and um, and so he's he's sent out into service. And I, I you know just as we were talking about, I mean that didn't that probably didn't feel good, um, even if it was just probably a vision. It was a realistic vision. So. Yeah hot coal on my lips doesn't feel good. Um, <laughs> That's true. And, and the pain of realizing that, yeah. that I'm a man of unclean lips and yeah. I'm among a people of unclean lips. Again, come into a holy God. The sin in the presence of God um, is, is painful. Mm-hmm. And from our view, it does appear as wrath. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and that's an individual basis for Isaiah. 
And here on Jesus, the wrath of, I mean, the wrath slash love of God for all of us, on all of us, was put on Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so the one thing that we can say about it is that um, it's not so much that God is so angry with everybody like as I am angry because you made me angry. It, I mean, this is simply a condition of what it is to be in God's presence. And so we, we want to be careful not to completely say, no, God is love. Therefore, this nothing bad can ever happen. But we also don't want to say uh, God hates you. I mean, this is that's horrible theology. Yeah, and yeah. so and so you sit you sit in the middle of this reality to bring the full gospel measure over so that you can help people know what reality is and invite them into a new one so, so hey our, go ahead i've got i've got a thought i've got to bring out for uh from jonathan before we close out i know we're trying to close out here but um jonathan why is it why is it important that the say for example the luke's story of jesus starts at his birth but john starts way back at creation. Why is it important when we talk about the humiliation of Christ, we're not just talking about like he grew up to be a man <laughs> and then he descended to death and to the dead. Why are we talking about the eternal Christ? What, what difference does it make? And what does that mean? The pre-existence of, of Christ is crucial to our understanding um, of, of who Jesus is and what God does through Christ. Um, there's a phenomenal book um, uh, called Christology in the Making um, by James D.G. Dunn, I believe is the, mm -hmm. the author of it, that sort of explores um, where is it that we can find the preexistence of Christ. And, and uh, John uniquely points to Jesus as the Logos, the Word that was there at creation. In fact, the power by which God creates all that we see and know um, is this Word that goes forth to do the creating. And um, that's important for our theology to understand that that in Christ uh, and and in His humiliation, as we've, been, as we've been talking about today, the Creator, that force um, by which creation comes into being, becomes the dust that which He created. And I just think mm -hmm. that is a magnificent yeah. image. Yes, that God becomes dust, yeah, like yes. us, yes, to redeem us and restore Ooh. us, and experiences mm -hmm. the fullness of of life, the fullness of life, birth death, suffering, the loss of a friend, disease and sickness, God experiences all of it and takes it on for us and for our redemption. Mm -hmm. And how how great a love is that, mm -hmm. that God would do that for you and for me, the pre-existent Christ um, dies for us, yes, suffers the wrath of God for us. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I am more and more convinced that we have to recover some of that theology uh, in our preaching and teaching that, that Jesus isn't just some dude that pops up on the scene, mm -hmm. um, but is the creator of the universe. And the early church speaks to that. When they speak yes. of Christ, when they speak of Jesus, they are talking about God. Yes. Um, and and we, we so often fall into heresies about uh, uh, Christ's position in the Trinity. Um, yeah. But mm -hmm. Jesus is fully God and fully human and uh, fully in love with you and I and desires for our redemption so much so that he would die for us. Yeah, yeah. that uh, you, you read church history and you read about the ecumenical councils that took place from 325 to about, uh, I guess, around 700 or so. And you... Brett's uh, childhood. 
<laughs> Thank you. I am literally four years older than you. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Three he was years one of those early church you. heretics. He was early church heretics. <laughs> okay, carry on. Uh, but uh, I mean, Council of Nicaea, right? So it, the first thing that the church post, you know, I guess the first controversy that needed to be worked out was what to do with the Gentiles when they come to faith. But that's in right. Acts 15, and you can read about that. But the first, like, real big thing that the church needed to come to grips with was teachings about the divinity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And how do we remain a, a monotheistic framework um, or tradition, but you also uh, you also can square up the fact that in the scriptures, there are, of course, God the Father's got this divine qualities about him. Jesus the things that Jesus is reported to do is very divine. And then the Holy Spirit is very divine. So how do you, how do you square this up? And the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity. And the doctrine of the Trinity in 325 becomes not so much a doctrine just for the, the Ivy League, the, 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 the ivory tower thinking of the, the, theologians, but it becomes... A, an issue that really matters, as Athanasius would say, um, mm-hmm. Alexander, Athanasius, the, the Cappadocian fathers, the, as they would say, um, I think it was Athanasius who actually said, it matters because of salvation. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the fact that Jesus is God, God the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, is not for him and, and and that group that was developing all this was not a sense of just some different teaching. Salvation hung in the balance. Yes, with this thinking, with this uh, with this teaching, salvation hung in the balance. So for them, it eternally mattered. Eternally mattered. Forgiveness of sins. That, that the whole idea with wrath of God, like why we take time to talk about the wrath of God, is because essentially. Forgiveness of sins matters, and you can't have an understanding of the forgiveness of sins without an understanding of wrath of God. I mean, uh, Thomas Oden says this. He says uh, about this, he says, um, his anger, being God's anger, to speak metaphorically, is vented against all godlessness and wickedness. Anger is the divine response to persistent, self-chosen human alienation. A response motivated by love, which is what we've talked about. Forgiveness is made a non-event if this deep sense of alienation is overlooked. Um, so w- these things matter because it our 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 eternity, uh, our our who we are um, as created beings is at stake with all this. Um, we're not just. It, it truly matters because it mat- it matters to us who we are in our, in reality. So, um, wow, man, some good stuff there today. I, I, I um, really have enjoyed enjoyed this. Um, it's never a good thing to say you enjoy talking about God's wrath, but um, <laughs> but when you look at God's wrath in light of His love and His grace and His power and His mercy, all of these things. It is it is amazing. It truly is an amazing thing. So uh, thank you, Jonathan, for being with us. This was hey, awesome. Thank- Jonathan hey. Smith, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
That was awesome. So, thank Jonathan, you for having me. Where can people find you if they wanted to f- maybe follow you on Twitter or, oh, you know, on the Facebooks a, or anything like that? I am a boring follower on Twitter. Uh, boring follow on Twitter. Uh, Unless you're a Georgia <laughs> Southern fan. Uh, yeah, unless you're a Georgia Southern fan, and then I'll occasionally give you a Wings Up Eagle Nation uh, <laughs> uh, tweet when when we can put an Eagle Six on it. Um, yep. Otherwise, uh, my my handle across all social media platforms is uh, JDSMIT5. So JDSMIT5. You can find me on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, and I promise you, I will post more quotes than I will pictures. <laughs> but but less quotes than things about Georgia Southern. So there, there you go. Hey, finish. give me the give me the Wesley Foundation website real quick. Yeah, uh, you can find us at gswesley.com, uh, gswesley.com, uh, and you can connect with our, our campus ministry. Uh, we exist uh, to help reach 18,834 students uh, just across the street from us at Georgia Southern University, um, and now another 5,000 on the campus of Armstrong, um, which is a, a university in Savannah. So uh, yeah, please keep us in your prayers. Um, and if you have someone who happens to be coming to Georgia Southern, we would love for you to connect them with us. Yes. Um, please feel free to shoot me a direct message. Um, send me an email, uh, jonathan.smith5 at gmail.com. All yes. right. And so, on that website too, if you feel like partnering at the work, I'll throw a little plug in there. You can make donations to the ministry online. And uh, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to do that if you feel so led. Awesome. Yes, sauce. please. Yes. Um, and our next episode, we're going to be dealing with question 28 of the Shorter Catechism in what consists Christ's exaltation. So Alan's given us a little bit of an allusion to, to this, the, the lifting up of Christ and why that's important. And uh, this Sunday, I know I'm preaching on the ascension of Christ. And uh, so that's uh, that's always much like the harrowing of, of hell c- tends to get relegated to the to the basements of the church preaching library. The ascension of Christ tends to get relegated in that same filing cabinet from time to time. Hint, it's more than poof, he was gone. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> But isn't uh, that what Acts says? <laughs> poof, he was gone. He was gone. gone. Um, and so uh, we're going to be talking about Christ's exaltation his resurrection and his ascension where he sits at the right hand of God the Father. And uh, hit us up again on social media, at uh, Podakesis on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Remember our uh, Psalms podcast, The Daily Psalms. Um, I will be starting to upload some new stuff here shortly after school is out. And uh, leave a five-star review on Apple particularly. This helps us. I know I keep saying this, but uh, it helps us. I've thought about, you know what I've thought about, guys, I thought what about putting a, a, putting an incentive out there. And Jonathan, oh, yeah. maybe you can give us an idea if you think this would be a good idea. I thought about putting an incentive out there about the five-star reviews on Apple. Um, and that is uh, Jim, myself, Alan. We've got some pretty crazy stories in the years that we've been in ministry. Uh, pretty crazy stories indeed. Um um, I may or may not have taken part in an exorcism one time. I don't know. Um, I mean, there are some pretty... Wait, spe- you're not sure that you participated in an exorcism no, no, at some I, point? I, uh, well, I here, can here's how you can find out. Here's how yeah. you can find out. Um, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. If we can get to 40 five stars on Apple Podcasts, I'm going to tell that story. I'm going to tell that story if we get to 40. And I'll finally reveal how I met Patrick Stewart and how one time I walked through a literal pet cemetery. If we get to, let's say, 45. Okay. Ooh, That'll, be Jim's story. That'll be Jim's hey, good story. good news. 
at 50, they've already told me they're going to give a free trip to Israel. <laughs> Potakis in Israel. Um, <laughs> at, uh, Met or UMC is going to pay for that. That'll be Allen's. Uh, at, but no, for real, at 50, I don't even know what story. I mean, Allen grew up in the church. So, like, he... I got some doozies. He's got doozies. So, I'm going to leave Allen for 50. If we get to 50 stars... You'll hear my story, you'll hear Jim's story, and then you'll hear whatever Alan brings to to the table on this. So 40, 40 stars for me to tell my exorcism story, 45 stars for Jim to tell his Pat, uh, Patrick Stewart story, and then whatever Jim, that uh, whatever, whatever prize that Alan's got in his pocket, if we get to 50, you'll hear all three stories, including Alan's. So... I don't know. I mean, I really didn't talk to the guys about this. I hope that I'm, I'm putting y'all on the spot, but we need to push these, man. If we got the 50 stars, man, that would I love be... you guys, but I'm not. I'm not worried. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get. I've got a way to to raise the stakes on that that 50th one, but I'll tell you later after after we wrap up. So. Yeah, right, I, like I like that. I like that. All right. So anyway, uh, Potty Cumans, hope you have a great day. Join us next time for our one year anniversary. Woo! Woo! And uh, we will be talking to y'all later. Uh, Y'all have a good one.